Welcome back to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and we're also uh, just next door to somebody using a circular saw. Which is always good when you're doing a podcast. But I guess <laughs> this is an illustration that we're connected to everything. So, oh, smooth. Our yes. connected world. Um, <laughs> yes, at the end of our last episode, actually, you left us on a bit of a cliffhanger where you mentioned that the changes that we're experiencing, this move towards a networked age, is shifting the nature of power in yeah. our world. And that's what we're going to explore today. Yeah. It, it, it was really interesting. This sort of clearly came into focus for me. Mm. Um, actually, last year, when we could travel overseas. Remember oh, those, what a time. Remember those days when we could leave? Um, well, now we can't even leave five kilometers. I went to a supermarket, two neighbors, neighborhoods across because my, um, my dad's had an operation and it's a care, you know, care, active caring. I could get milk. And it felt like an overseas holiday <laughs> going to <laughs> Is the, your car chitty chitty bang bang? Yeah. No, no. It, 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 but going an extra neighborhood away to yeah, get okay. milk felt like an overseas holiday. But back when we could take overseas holidays, um, and it was in Copenhagen last year and walking with my friend and um, and he pointed out this walk past this sort of this this lady and he's like oh that's you know uh, Margaret Vestergaard who I'd heard the name who is the mm-hmm. EU commissioner who was sort of taking on Google and big tech uh, for the European Union, and I thought it so interesting. Like looking at her, and she's just by herself downtown um, uh, Copenhagen, and um, uh, yeah, just like this 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 woman by herself. And I and I saw her, and my almost my my reaction was like, oh, it's like David taking on Goliath. And you know, I thought of Mark Zuckerberg and Google, and you know, like the power of Apple and uh-huh. Tim Cook, and you know, all this sort of stuff. But then in my mind, I thought that's so fascinating. Like. If you went back 50 years, 100 years, you know, Margaret Vestergaard is an EU commissioner. This is the European Union, all the great nations yeah. of Europe, you know, you know, Great Britain. This is, you know, obviously still part of the EU at this stage. <laughs> um, you know, Germany, you know, all, all these countries, Spain, Italy, you know, she's a politician over all of them, you mm. know, and but – an EU commissioner in the current power change dynamic seems like a little David taking on the Goliath of Mark Zuckerberg. Now think about Zuckerberg. Again, you go back and people would say this guy who's, you know, one of the most powerful people on the planet now, um, you know, who was this sort of guy at Harvard trying to create this social network to, mm. you know, sort of meet people or girls or whatever, you know, that movie told the story of that. And, you know, I just thought it's a fascinating shift in how we view power um, how it's changed and how yes. such an established institutional politician in charge of a multi-nation conglomerate could seem weak compared, compared to some to, guy yeah. in California who seems like a global juggernaut now. So this, this shows us how power is shifting. So I guess what you're saying is that the industrial society centralised power but the network society diffuses power, spreads yes. it out. Yeah. So like in, in the past, you know, power was in capitals, you know, mm-hmm. like um, it was in these big institutions. It was in these positional power leadership positions like an EU commissioner or a president or a king yeah. or queen. But now what this networked age is doing is diffusing power. So power is less centered in particular, you know, hierarchies. It's less centered in particular institutions. Now it's like spread throughout the network. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the network continues to grow. Power keeps getting spread out. 
And this means that, you know, centers of power, the center of power is continually shifting. Just a quote from uh, Joseph Cooper Ramo, network power not only pulls apart, it also creates networks, create concentration and distribution. As a result, they rip apart many existing structures. And you know, really what we're seeing, and I think that story of seeing Margaret Vestergaard mm. um, illustrates this, is that many of the existing institutions and organizations are still operating but power is draining away from them as we speak. Yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, you look at even, say, universities. Literally during COVID-19, power is drifting away from universities as we speak. Now, universities have this tremendous prestige connected to them. You know, you look um, in the United Kingdom, um, anyone who, who seems to have influence, this, I don't know the stats exactly, but almost everyone has influence in so many different fields, went to either Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah, um, it's crazy. And um, that's because they were these prestige seats of power. And there'd almost mm. be people who would go there less to um, even get the education as much as to connect the network. Yes. Same with Ivy League colleges in the United States. But what we're seeing is these institutions changing where power is drifting away. This is happening in, in the church as well. Um, there are churches that were hugely prestigious for many decades mm-hmm. and, and even you know longer um, that in our day we're seeing power drain away and then all of a sudden this little cool church starts up here and that's a whole movement. So you've seen this continual shift, but it's happening at hyper speed. Ulrich Beck, um, the German sort of sociologist, has this term. He calls it zombies. Ooh. And, you know, what he says is that the modern age, um, in a sense, is draining power away from institutions, but we still they're like zombies. They're still walking and still existing. So in a sense, what this means is that as power is diffused, the actual nature of institutions change. Uh, their role changes. The political scientist Yuval Levin talks about this in American politics. And he says that what's happening is increasingly in American politics is that you're getting senators, congresspeople run for government not because they want to serve their constituency, but actually as it's a brilliant platform for their personal brand. Wow. He talks about the fact that um, they have these Senate inquiries, the best ones, apparently the most effective ones are the security ones, that because of national um, you know, security, they can't be broadcast. But these ones that are open, it's literally, he said, it's, people hate them now because it's literally people trying to get these sound bites for a YouTube reel. So you've got politicians going in so they can get their sound bites of standing up against big business, you know, or speaking truth to power for this really cool highlight reel. Yeah. You know, and again, we see the same thing that, you know, you're seeing now the blurring of celebrity in politics, mm-hmm. um, where people who are celebrities are saying, actually, the next, you know, the next rock and roll is getting into politics. Um, so what this means is that institutional forms of power. Mm. which which the industrial age was all about institutional forms of power. And institutions are still there. They're still operating. Yes. But power is draining away from them. The increasingly power is around platform. Platform is being known and seen and an influential player within the network.
So is is what you're saying that networks are now more egalitarian and equal? Is it a level playing field now? Yes and no. <laughs> so so networks appear flat and egalitarian, um, yet they create new hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Like a classic example is the Arab Spring. So basically um, in the Arab Spring, you had a... Um, uh, Egyptian guy who was actually in, I think he was in Dubai, um, working as an expat worker. I think he might have worked for Google or one of the big tech companies in the Middle East there in Dubai. It wasn't even in Egypt. Set up this Facebook group to meet in Tahrir Square and basically to protest against the uh, you know, Egyptian president, Mubarak. And this then just coalesces into this very flat egalitarian Mm. movement where these people who didn't have any power Mubarak you know was quite you know a strong leader and secret police and all of this but in a sense his institutional power was 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 drifting away and then all of a sudden these bunch of sort of IT guys and different sort of activists and stuff like that start gathering the TV networks come there the whole world's watching and you know the Mubarak regime falls Mm. because of this but then what's really interesting is that into that space then you have the emergence into this empty space of another power source, which is already pre-existing in Egyptian society, which is Ikhwan or the Muslim Brotherhood, who all of a sudden then are able to then in that network become like a new hub. They were a pre-existing mm-hmm. hub who got more powerful and then they took the presidency and uh, eventually actually were removed um, because a lot of Western governments and others didn't like the Muslim Brotherhood being um, running Egypt. So... You see that, you see two things happening in that. First mm-hmm. of all is that there is this dynamic where it makes things flat, yet also it, it, it also creates new hierarchies. Now, what's really interesting is these new hierarchies are hard to define, yet they're keenly felt. And what this does is this creates this tension which drives cultural clashes. You think about in the north of England, there's these cities which were proud industrial cities or coal mining cities. They yeah. had an identity. They were part of the global economic trade um, you know supply chains Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden decisions are made elsewhere and then you've got these new financial elites um, or perhaps people in the sort of creative industries in London and all of a sudden there's this shift of power from you know cities which perhaps had industrial power in the industrial age now to people who got macbooks and rocking around in jeans in you know some cool studio in in you know Shoreditch in London and people are frustrated by this. They're frustrated yeah. by, I've, I've lost power, but I don't know how and where is it exactly gone? It's those people over there. So there's this constant sense that power is moving around. Yeah, there's something intangible about it. Totally. And in, in the, when you actually look at what they discovered is when scientists were looking at the science of networks mm. is what they discovered is there's sort of two types of, it is an evolution that networks go through. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, you know, they begin as very flat and egalitarian, but then eventually this natural hierarchy or they, some people call them um, aristocratic networks emerge in which highly connected hubs become powerful. And really, this is the story of the internet. You know, you think about the early internet it was like a Wild West, you mm-hmm. know, these sort of San Francisco tech utopians who created this really flat world. And I remember like early on, um, you know, I had one of the sort of first sort of Christian websites with a mate who was a tech guy, um, uh, you know, who, who uh, you know, created this website, you know, mm. really early on into the internet. And, um, you know, you could just talk to anyone. I remember there was an author. I just like 
there's his email. I just started talking to him, you mm. know, and we had people talking to us. There's this really flat reality. There wasn't a lot bunch of money being made. It was almost like a hobby. Um, but you think about now how what 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 they did, like you think about print media. Print media is the old institution. Yes. These things like, you know, the Washington Post and so on. The Washington Post, you know, effectively almost went bankrupt, but then got bought by Amazon. Yeah. So really now Facebook is far more powerful than any, you know, the Times of London or the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever. Um, you, so you see this dynamic. So you had these former centers of power, these big print media, and then it got flattened. Mm. But now Facebook, Google, yeah. uh, Instagram, you know, which is part of Facebook. But, you know, there's this shifting. So it's like the move from the Wild West of the early internet, which yeah. was egalitarian and flat, now to the big tech giants. Yeah. You've got people like Joe Biden, you know, part of his platform is like to sort of break these up and restrain their power. You sort of said a similar thing when you were talking about the emergence of the printing press back in yes. episode one. It's that same um, path of like an egalitarian, everything's flat, but then slowly it builds into um, centers of power again. Totally. So there's a natural progression. Mm. You know? And I think we're living through that. You know? And then you see, you know, even the fact that you go from what's amazing is, you know, I've got early 90s like internet books and they're talking about how like, you know, this is going to bring governments down and, you know, the fact that you can see everything like governments and power is just going to be ripped out. And, you know, we're now these stateless cyber citizens and, you know, it's the end of despots. But then you look what's happening in China and, yeah. you know, digital surveillance and, and you know, what's happening in places like Xinjiang and, and with the Uyghur people where it's literally almost like a 1984 tech surveillance or yeah. even, you know, what Western intelligence agencies are doing, you know, as well. And, you know, you would have never thought we'd get there, but... You go egalitarian and flat, but then there is this sense of um, consolidation that happens in new places. Yeah. But it can all change. I mean, you think like Facebook could become, I mean, you think of MySpace, you know, <laughs> like like it could change. Facebook could just go on the nose and people could move away from it and power could radically shift from, mm. you know, Zuckerberg's hands like, like that. So, you know, that's how things shift. So, in a sense, the industrial hierarchical society gained power by consolidation and centralization in a network power centers upon connection. So, the highly connected in a network are the powerful. And so, that's why the switches, the hubs between networks are particularly powerful. And just, just a quick point on that. Mm -hmm. That's why also what's happened is you've seen this move in our worlds where the politics has often become between the people often in the rural areas and people in big cities yes or people in former industrial areas so in in britain a large element of brexit was people in the north uh, people in the forgotten industrial heartlands people in rural areas mm. feeling that london now was the hub we've seen the yellow vest protests in france where mm. what you've got is you've got people coming in from the provinces into paris and they feel that, you know, France has become too Paris-centric. Um, same you see in America, coastal elites, you know, you know, New York, LA. You see in Australia, Melbourne and Sydney, seen as, you know, over, you know, the majority of the population, they get the biggest slice of the pie. So these connected global hubs. Um, but what's really interesting is, and this is how power shifts, the cities that have been hit hardest in the COVID-19 pandemic are those hubs so what makes you powerful also makes you weak. This is how yes. power, power is much more, um, you know, changes and malleable in a network world.
so obviously this has huge implications for people who are trying to lead at this time. And I guess not just looking at the church, looking globally Mm. at leaders. I mean, so much of our identity is invested in concepts of power. Yeah. And, you know, the term positional power Mm. um, is – is you know I think really relevant here that 50 years ago the way to get power is to go to the right college um, to get the right bits of paper um, to work your way up to an institution say in the Christian world you know a seminary a big parachurch organization a, you know a, a really impactful church but you're seeing very quickly power draining away from those centers and then you've got other people you've got people who literally just got an Instagram account with 70,000 followers yeah are bigger voices now in the Christian world, and they're totally disconnected from any institutional power. So if your identity is invested in these senses of power, you're either having power drained away from you, which really brings your identity into question, or you're building an identity, which is around platform and could disappear like that. And it's actually more about being known and seen than necessarily biblical understanding of power, which is actually spiritual authority. Um, and you know, in, in many ways, you know, we're seeing also this really interesting thing where institutions seem strong, but they actually actually can become quite weak because small groups um, can actually take them down. A small group of activists mm. can actually run a campaign. You know, five or six people who just have the determination to write negative messages on a big brand's Facebook page can hugely influence, you know. Yeah. So we see these small groups of activists have, you know, an overabundance of influence in the world um, because there's now these feedback loops. Ori Braffman and Rod Beckstrom write this in the book, The Starfish and the Spider. The absence of structure, leadership, and formal organization once considered a weakness has become a major asset. Seemingly chaotic groups have challenged and defeated established institutions. The rules of the game have changed. You know, and we see this, this is part of the story of the second half of the 20th century where, mm. you know, we saw um, America, the biggest military um, power, superpower in the world, you know, really lose a war against the insurgency in, in Vietnam. That story was then again told in Iraq mm. where you know, it was again told in Afghanistan. Um, we saw the Soviet Union defeated also in Afghanistan against an insurgency, the same group of, you know, Mujahideen, you know, that really became uh, Al-Qaeda. Um, so we see this story again and again, a small group of hackers who can, um, you know, we, we saw like a few weeks ago, a small group of hackers hacked into some of the biggest influential accounts on Twitter yeah. and posted these messages. So, you know, the story of the 20th century, 21st century is that power and the rules have radically changed. Um, and just, just an end point on that, that in a sense, it's this is creating a real crisis of power. Mm-hmm. The Venezuelan politician, um, Moises Naim basically says this, power is easier to obtain and harder to use and even to keep in a networked age. So if you're a leader, if you're an organization, you've got power, um, you've got people who can come against you really quickly and it's harder to use and even to keep. And I think about pastors at this point in time where, you know, and I've seen this, where a lot of pastors, particularly I think this is happening in the United States where yeah. there's a lot of polarization, where you've got, advocacy groups within your church often with completely different political programs or theological even programs 
And they can write on your Instagram page. They can send. They can organize. The power, in a sense, is drained away from pastors down into the congregations in ways that is really unusual in the industrial age. And this is creating this really fracturous reality where tremendous pressure is being put upon pastors and leaders, seminary uh, uh, presidents or whatever you want to call it. Um, And there's a greater amount of feedback loops in a network, which means that your power is continually questioned in a network dynamic. And people think that's just because of this issue has arised or that Mm -hmm. issue. No, this is the new reality. Yeah, right. So if this is the new reality, how do leaders operate in this space of diffused power? Yeah, Just a a couple of things. The first one is I think we must understand these changes in power yet still understand the ways in which the kingdom operates. The kingdom doesn't operate according to an institutional industrial age understanding of power. The kingdom actually doesn't operate in a networked understanding of power. Mm. The kingdom brings into the world this heavenly understanding of power. Donald Crable called it the upside-down kingdom where power is different to both the institutional, industrial and networked age. You know, and you think of you know, Paul's, um, pardon me, you know, statement in Corinthians, you know, when I'm weak, he, I, I am strong. Mm. You know, he is strong. Yeah. And you know, I think there is an opportunity in the midst of this as we feel power draining away to actually reconnect to biblical sources of power, to spiritual sources of Christ's power. Um, and I think there's also this element that the crisis of power creates this renewal opportunity as our attempts to gain power are thwarted. And when our attempts to gain power or exercise power or do it in our own strength and move into striving, the window opens to the possibility of kingdom power and God dependency in our lives. And so the frustration that you're feeling is actually hard as power seems to drain away, particularly if you're a leader. But there's an opportunity opening where you can now turn to that point, that renewal point, which I I love returning to, that when we get to the end of ourselves, God can begin and renewal can start. And I think also there's just this real moment of self-examination that so much of our identity, as I said, are, are invested in cultural concepts of power. And so many of us are having those old concepts pulled from under our feet. Others are gaining power. But when our identity is subverted, the possibility of taking on Christ's identity increases. Wow. It's super encouraging, that last part. And I'm sure that there are many out there who will be encouraged by that. Uh, Next week, Mark, we're going to be heading on to talk about uh, how networks are, are, well, are they responsible for the world going mad? Yes. Are they really contributing to <laughs> yes. that? Is that what's going on or are we all just sort of losing the plot? Um, I guess it's often said that with um, crisis comes opportunity. So if there are lots of crisis, crises, crises, crises going on, does that mean that there's a whole bunch of opportunities available to us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. All right. Well, we'll see you next week.